How do you work? No, really. If we were sitting across from each other enjoying a refreshing beverage, how would you describe how you work? Would you say you work in a job, that you have a career, or that you are working in your calling? It's not a trick question, and there's no right or wrong answer. But not only does your description of how you work potentially affect how you look at the purpose of your work, it also likely affects your financial health too. Hello, 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 and welcome to More Than Money, a podcast where we have nuanced conversations about money, business, and life, where we take the time to explore the intersections of the psychology and emotions of money, because success with money is never just about the numbers. I'm your host, Jacquette Timmons, and I'm really, really glad you've taken the time to tune in today. So two things before we dive into today's episode. First, I have a few openings with me in my private one-on-one coaching practice. And if you'd like to explore working together, send me a DM on Instagram and we'll send you a link to my calendar and have a chat and take it from there. Second, we're doing something a little different with today's episode. It's another crossover event. You've heard me mention Tara Newman by name on a few episodes. Well, today, you'll get a chance to meet her. Tara is a friend, a business colleague, and as of earlier this month, she is also my business coach. Yes, I work with a coach because I believe coaches should be coached too. With all those different connections, it may not surprise you that Tara and I chat often usually via voice messages on Instagram or Voxer, and our conversations get really spirited when something is happening in business or in the economy, you know, that's unfolding in the news right in front of us that we find puzzling. Or maybe it's an article that we've recently read. We have wonky moments. Like I sent her a research report recently that I needed to read in preparation for an interview. Um, Or we'll talk about our reaction to a documentary like, uh, what is it, Lula Rich? Oh my goodness, if you haven't watched that, it's amazing. But typically we are you know, reaching out to one another when something rankles our feather a bit and or something just really, again, we find puzzling. And earlier this summer, I appeared on her podcast as a guest where we made one of our hot take conversations public. And I'm so delighted that we're doing this crossover event and that I get to share that conversation with you today. But here are a few things that I want you to keep in mind before we get into the episode. What sparked the conversation that you will hear of Tara and me is our respective reactions to the social media messaging around build a seven-figure business. Now, to be clear, neither one of us are against building a seven-figure business. If that's what you want and you're cool with the choices and the trade-offs, absolutely go for it. We simply think that the conversation that is typically had on social media, it, it, it is not as nuanced as it ought to be. So I guess a better way of saying that is we simply think that the conversation about building a seven-figure business is a lot more nuanced than is what is being covered on what I like to call the streets of the internet. And while we're on this subject, my personal perspective is this. Business is business. Some people do it online because that's an efficient distribution channel for how they work and what they offer. But the principles of starting, running, and growing a viable business, those remain the same whether you have a brick and mortar business, whether it's online, whether you offer a product or service or both. Business is business. And I would actually like to see more of 
an emphasis on that <laughs> and less on online business. Um, unless you are being really, really clear that you are using that language to emphasize the efficiency and the platform of where someone does business. Okay, rant over. One more thing. Although our conversation centers around entrepreneurship, if you are here as an employee, you'd benefit from listening all the way through to the end as well. In part, because if employment trends track the way they have in recent years, you may find yourself as an accidental entrepreneur, even if only temporarily. So you want to tune in and listen to some of the things that we are observing in this space so that, you know, you uh, double down on some of the things that, you know, we're saying works and then also avoid some of the pitfalls and the traps of things that we are observing and are suggesting don't work. Um, and additionally, here's the thing. There is just no escaping, regardless of how you work, there's no escaping the relationship between how you work, the purpose of your work, and how it affects the health of your personal finances. As you'll hear, Tara and I have a far-ranging conversation about money, business, entrepreneurship, about life. You'll hear us talk about mindset. You'll hear us talk about living paycheck to paycheck. And yes, this happens with entrepreneurs too. You'll hear us talk about setbacks and failures and then some. In the end, like I said, we have a far-ranging conversation about life and the choices we make, sometimes because we want to, at other times because we have to. You'll also hear lots of laughter. But if you know me, that will not surprise you. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Tara Newman when I was a guest on her show, The Bold Money Revolution Podcast. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to The Bold Money Revolution Podcast. I'm here today with my dearest of dear friends, Jaquette Timmons. She is, she's been on the podcast before. Uh, Jaquette and I were going back and forth, I think, in Instagram the other week. And we were just acknowledging and appreciating the, the levels of conversations that we have. Uh, you know, we talk about things that maybe other people aren't talking about, or we think about things a little differently. I think that we appreciate the fact that we're different, right? The obvious, Jaquette's a lovely black woman. I'm a lovely white woman. And I so value uh, Jaquette's expertise and her perspective and her lens and her, the, how she intersects with money and the things that she sees. And I feel, Jaquette, that you respect the same for me. Totally. <laughs> A thousand percent. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that we intentionally seek each other out for the lens that we have. Yeah. It's almost like I can, I, I'll speak for myself. It's like, I have this thought and then it's like, is there a safe space to like introduce this? <laughs> to introduce that I have this thought, like to share and see, like, are you saying the same thing? Or even if you're not, what do you think about what I'm seeing? So you, you just provide a safe space for me. So I want to just thank you for that. Oh, and same for me. Thank you. I'm for, so I love to uh, shoot Jaquette like things I see on Instagram. And I'm like, what's your hot take on this? Like, give me your hot take. Um, and, and sometimes they're the same and, and sometimes they're a little different. And, and we always are like, I think we're pretty aligned in, in how we think about things. Yes. Yes. So our goal here today is just to have one of our Jaquette and Tara open conversations about money, because that is really where both our expertises both lie in the, in the realm of money. Mm -hmm. And what I said to Jaquette, I said, you know, what do you want to talk about? And we're talking about this beforehand. And I said, you know, I want to talk about things that we're not talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why we're not, you might not be talking about this and you might not be seeing this. And I think the reason why I feel Jaquette and I have a different take on this is because we have a really, Jaquette, you have clients that aren't in the online space, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. True. I don't, I have clients who are not in the online space. I have clients that run businesses that don't use social media. Mm -hmm. They don't even have functioning websites. Mm -hmm. Um, um, 
none of that really. And my, the majority of my career was not spent, you know, in this, in this space, I think same is for you, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. And I think that you and I also have traveled some pretty traditional career paths. Mm -hmm. When did you start your business? I started it in 1995. um, And that was after working with one firm, Bankers Trust, now Deutsche Bank, for just a month shy, uh, yeah, a month shy of 10 years. And then even when I started my own business, it was to do the exact same thing that I had been doing there in the private bank, which was managing money for high net worth individuals and smaller foundations. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't come into the quote unquote online world, quite frankly, until probably 2012. Mm -hmm. Same, same. Mm -hmm. Um, What was your impetus for starting your own business? A couple of things. One, um, the president of the private bank had been fired. (laughs) Um, And, you know, in hindsight, I feel like it was to no fault of his own. It was, you know, from a firm-wide perspective for folks that don't know the history, Bankers Trust was in a little bit of a scandal. (laughs) 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 Um, And this had to do with derivatives and Orange County. And some of that, you know, trickled down and had an impact on the private bank, even though none of us were involved in that at all. But with a whole new, you know, influx of professional folks at the realm, our guy who was actually the one who was spearheading, making some tweaks to the private bank, because prior to him coming, it was really a traditional private bank. Like we did not talk to families or individuals that were not in the two or $3 million asset Mm -hmm. level. And he came in having come from Fidelity and was introducing more of a, what we would refer to as a retail um, platform because he's like, what about those folks that only have a couple of hundred thousand dollars, but they may be a part of a family or they may be an entrepreneur and you want to get them when they're at the hundred thousand dollar mark so that you can grow with them. So um, what the, that's a long way of answering, but it, it, it's an important answer because when he left, everything was all kind of shaken up. And I was thinking about what am I going to do next? And they were making some changes. And I think I thought about staying at Bankers Trust, interviewed internally, looked elsewhere. And then one of the people on the team said, why don't you start your own business? And I was like, I can't do that. And they're like, you started one inside the private bank. Why can't you do that? And I'm like, oh yeah, I did, didn't I? (laughs) (laughs) So um, I started my business initially to do exactly what I had been doing there, but on my own. And that was working with people that had $100,000 for investable assets or smaller foundations. And yeah, that's why I started it and when I started it. What was the draw for you to work for yourself? What was that? What 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 kind of was exciting for you about that or interesting? You know, I think my answer in hindsight would probably be different in terms of my answer in the moment at, at the time, right? Because I think in the moment, quite frankly, it was a lot of ego, if I'm being completely honest. Like to just I love like- that. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> yeah. You know, like once somebody planted the seed, it's like, oh, I can do this and I want to be a money manager. But I think now, you know, with clearly the benefit of a lot of time, I think one of the reasons why I've stayed with it and clearly my business looks very different today than it did back then. But I also feel like I always looked at the way people approach money very differently. A, Mm -hmm. and I felt like when you are in an institution, you have to approach it their way and you have to have conversations the way that they want to have conversations. So as an example, I would really get frustrated when we would have, you know, performance evaluation reviews. And when I say performance, portfolio performance, conversations with our clients. And it was always just about the return number. And it's like, first Mm -hmm. of all, it's going to fluctuate. It's going to be up one quarter and down the next quarter, but let's talk about why. And let's talk about how you were feeling about that. And let's talk about some of the more proactive strategic decisions that you need to make as opposed to, oh my God, my portfolio is down. What are we going to do? We're not going to do anything because it's a part of our longer vision. 
but that's not always um, necessarily, at least back then. And I don't want to say encouraged, but there was too much focus just on the numbers Mm -hmm. and not a broader conversation around people's behavior, choices, and their emotions around it. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I've done a lot of work with business owners on their financial statements and presenting them to banks for various reasons or for sale or something like that. And I always say facts tell, stories sell. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like there's other things at play that are happening that aren't necessarily represented in the, in the numbers. There's a matter, matter of fact, a whole story that's happening that's not, you know, in mm-hmm. the numbers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, ego, ego drove you. I, I actually love that about you. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. Um, and I, I love that you worked with millionaires because we, we were actually before, while we were talking through what we want to talk about and some of the things that, you know, aren't being said, you and I both feel very strongly around some of this messaging that we're seeing in the online business space around seven figures. Mm-hmm. By the way, people don't actually say seven figures outside of the online business space. Like I don't hear that being used. Like my clients aren't like, I have a seven figure business. Do you hear that? Is it Not me? at all. Not okay. at all. No. <laughs> See, this is why I talk to Jacquette. I'm like, can you just fact check me here? Because no. I, I'm like, this isn't like a thing. <laughs> and and I think, you know, as, as I was sharing before we pressed record, you know, sometimes I wonder, um, I question my reaction because I know some of it is a style issue from the standpoint of, I know a lot of millionaires. I mean, I guess everybody could say, well, what's a lot? I can count on two hands, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not an exaggeration. Um, and I know two billionaires and none of them lead with that, right? They're very quiet. It's very, you know, I'm going to just stay with the word quiet. Like they, they just don't wear it on their sleeve. They don't say I have a million dollar business. They don't say I have a yacht. They don't say I have a plane. I've never been on the one friend's plane, but they'll say, you know, Hey, do you want to come and go out on, um, go out on the water, but they're not going to say, do you want to go out on my yacht? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's not a part of the conversation. <laughs> and just because they're not doing that doesn't mean that they're not talking about money. Cause I think sometimes the, the conflation with what I hear in some of the discussions around build a seven figure business is that people aren't talking about money. Well, first of all, I've long believed that that's wrong. I think people talk about money all the time. I just don't think they're having the right conversations. And I also feel like just because they're not being explicit about what they're doing doesn't mean that they're not talking about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. My favorite book is the millionaire next door. Yeah. And like, when I look at the millionaires that I know, they are the most unassuming yes. people. And they're, and, and so I think there's a lot to unpack here and I, I want to stay here because I, I truly, um, I'm really concerned. Mm-hmm. I'm just genuinely concerned for business owners. I'm concerned with, uh, specifically for online people who are seeking information online, Mm -hmm. um, because there's a lot that's not true. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer and I don't, this is not my mindset. This is years of knowledge and experience and continued learning and education, uh, there are academics at this point studying what they're, what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there, and I just was reading a study called the entrepreneur because, because we have flooded the system yeah. with quote unquote entrepreneurs, we've actually broken the intention of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, going to have impact on the economy. Mm-hmm. And not just the economy, but uh, you know, I'm really concerned with the impact that it's having on people's social and emotional health and, and their mental health chasing these, these goals. And there's one thing um, 
in the 2018 Amex small business, women's small business report, uh, and granted this is a few years old, but 88% of women were not making over $100,000 in revenue in their business. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when they did the 2019 survey, I don't think they did a side-by-side comparison of that. So I don't know what the number is now. What we do know is more and more women are entering this, the business, the small business space. And when you start to dissect this by race, you know that this is horrific. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's bad. Uh, and I don't have those exact numbers on me, but I will just be, be honest and fair and say that that's not great. Um, so if 88% of women small business owners are making l- l- less than $100,000 a year, why do we have marketing around seven-figure businesses, Chiquette? I think we have marketing around that because it gives the people that are not making that $100,000 something that, that they can hold on to and that they can say, yeah, that's my goal. But it takes away, I think, some of the critical thinking that's required of what it will take to actually do that in a sustainable way. And mm-hmm. I, the, the parallel that I draw there is the conversation that is often had when it comes to venture capital and how, you know, there's this push for raise capital, raise capital. Like I, I sit on the cabinet for, um, in, in New York City, I sit on the cabinet for advancing black entrepreneurship in New York City. And, and I don't mind saying it here on a recorded podcast. Um, One of the things that I always say when we have our meetings is we can't just focus on incubators and providing people access to venture capital because not every business is designed to need venture capital. Like yeah. what about that neighborhood business that needs, you know, tools and access to financing that's going to help them, but they're never going to benefit from venture capital because they're not designed to scale and be sold in a scalable fashion. Um, so why the why to the uh, seven figure, it's, it's, it's seductive at the end of the day, right? It, mm-hmm. it's like, oh my God. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. But I think missing in the conversation is the nuances around what it takes to actually do that. And like I said, in a sustainable way. Yeah. I, so um, some of my messaging around the Bold Profit Academy is around this number of 250,000. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I have 250,000 as a number is a little bit based on profit first. And when you look at how that, that $250,000 would get distributed, uh, it allows somebody to take home six figures of pay. Mm-hmm. So they would take home $125,000 mm-hmm. a year in, in CEO pay. Mm-hmm. They would have some profit that they could take out of that business to do whatever they want with it. Profit first is pretty big on rewarding you, the business owner. So mm-hmm. I like, I would like to see women um, invest in do some investing or mm-hmm. invest in their families or whatever. Uh, personally, my, um, my retirement contributions and my, my stock money comes out of my pay, but mm-hmm. if it didn't, it could come out of your profit. Right. Um, and then you have some, some nice money to, to, for expenses to run your business and to, mm-hmm. to hire some support. And it, it's a very manageable thing. And I get questioned a lot about, is this your limited mindset, Tara? Is, are you being, is this your limiting belief? Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's actually, it's been by men, men have questioned this. It's, it's two men, two men have have questioned me on this. Um, so the women in the bold profit Academy are like, yes, like this is where we need to be right now. Right. Um, but what it, and, and it's, first of all, I like to challenge the personal development industry. So my response to this was what if believing in limiting beliefs is really what's limiting you? (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Because I feel like there's some truth to that. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I, I always remind people when they talk about mindset, I'm like, my definition of mindset is perspective, A. And then B, it always has to accompany action. Like you can't think your way through to the other side of something. Right. So even right. if it were a quote unquote limiting mindset, you can't think your way through from 250 to a million. You got to do something. <laughs> right, right. So, so, but, but here's what I actually see happening is that this $1 million number for women becomes a real distraction where they're focusing so much on that million dollars or what might get them to a million dollars, they completely miss what will get them to a hundred thousand or 200,000 or 250,000. And then when we can get women and anywhere between a hundred thousand and 250,000, it depends. It depends on where you're living. It depends on your partner. It depends on, right. It like, it depends oh on so many factors. Oh what is the right number for you? But 250,000 is, is, is a good chunk in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, and, but when we get you there and you start to realize, and you have a system for your money and you start to realize that you have enough, something happens where you calm down and then you can go for more than enough and whatever more than enough looks like to you. But what is happening and you can, I'd love your in, input on this, but what I think is happening is that in the online space, the marketers, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh -huh. the marketers are selling you self-actualization right? when you need basic needs, safety, security, emotional mm -hmm. support, and things like that. Right. And so they're jumping you all the way up the pyramid without having those foundational pieces in place. And it's devastating. It is. And, and here's something else, right? So obviously for a variety of reasons, I will omit a, a lot of details, but I've got a client who does indeed have a seven-figure business. But she doesn't pay as, herself as much as she could. Mm -hmm. um, she does work that she probably shouldn't because she's got team members that are not really stepping up to the plate. And so she's picking up the slack because stuff's got to get done. Like there's just so many different things. So I guess, I guess in sharing that example, what I'm trying to point out is you can have the holy grail of a seven figure business and that's fantastic. But does that mean that you've worked out and worked on your relationship with money and your relationship with managing other people to the degree that that seven figures is not killing, you know, and maybe that's just the wrong choice of word. No, but, that's you know. a pretty good choice of word. <laughs> that's it's a pretty good choice of you, word. You know? Yeah. So I, yes, I, so couple things. So when I, when my clients are not in the online business space, they're primarily over a million dollars up to mm -hmm. six, a $60 million business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, my dad has had his own business and, um, I've had family members who've had their own business. My husband has his own business. The hardest revenue amount in a business, in my opinion, is one to 5 million. Why do you that's like that? a, that's a tight spot because you start requiring more team yeah, and it's really hard to manage the people, the cost of the people. Um, it, it's, it's not like the most efficient sweet spot of a business mm -hmm. and, um, it, it can be, it can be a real drain and it can be, it can be really hard for people. And yes, just because you have revenue of that amount doesn't mean that you're profitable because I've seen that as well. So, you know, it's no joke when Mike Michalowicz talks about in the book that 83% of business owners are living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, my husband's worked in businesses where they were so fast outspending their cash because of the wife's $30,000 Bloomingdale credit card and the whole family had to have Mercedes and they had nothing left to run the business with. Right. 
Yeah. Because they, because a lot of small business owners just aren't knowledgeable about money and they use their, their business, like it's a piggy bank. <laughs> exactly. Which is so crazy. I always remind folks, uh, that, that thing you just got paid for all that money ain't yours. <laughs> so my, my dad used to say to me, my dad used to say to me, he's like, Oh, what does it matter? It goes from one pocket to the other. And he would point to the pockets in his jeans. Like one pocket is a business pocket and the other right. pocket is a personal pocket. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> yeah, but something happens between that dad. <laughs> <laughs> It goes in one pocket as another number and it goes into the other pocket as another number. Well, it's funny because he's actually really good with finances. So I think like a part of him was being like facetious about it, but I can see how people, how people, um, you know, think that, but then the other thing that always fascinates me that's missing from the marketing messages are what happens when you hit a million dollars? Like I get that, like, you know, in the online space, we get like gold balloons and like macaroons and all that jazz. And I'm anybody who is celebrating making money in the online business space, I am not pooing on you. Like you do, you do. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm so glad that you're succeeding. Truly, I truly am. And I've got friends who have online businesses and they are making a million dollars more and they do talk about it online. And like, I celebrate them. I'm like, you're amazing. Awesome, right? Um, But what happens is you have to do it again. Right. Next year. Right, right. So it's it's the whole issue of sustainability. Right. So now we're getting into sustainability. So whatever you just did, you now need to do again and again and again and again. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think for me, you know, part of some of my challenge that I uh, bump up against in terms of what I hear is the, the idea that there's only one way to do it. And, and we know because of some of the clients that we have that there are so many different ways to have a million dollar business. But I don't think that in the online space when it's being marketed, that that nuance is being really highlighted. It's almost as if it's, this is the way as opposed to this is a way. Yeah. And then I think women really look at that and they go like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not perfect enough. Like, right. How much harder do I need to work mm-hmm. to, to get to that benchmark, which is for me, why I'm like, can we just, you're so overworking because you have a goal that is so far beyond where you are right now. Can we just bring the goal back a little bit and do what's required to get to this benchmark and then decide if you want to do this again? if this is sustainable, if this feels good, if this is what's required. Yeah, you know, I, I, I forgot where I was. I was having a conversation with someone um, and I was saying how, you know, I will never tell someone that their dream is too big, but I will challenge them on the timeline, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I think what you're pointing out is the timeline issue. So you wanna have a million dollar business are you clear within what time frame? Is that five years? Is that 10 years? Because the things that you will do to have a, a million dollar business that has a 10 year timeline to it is very different than what you would do if it's five years and extremely different if you're trying to do it within one year. And I think that's another nuance that's not a part of the marketing of build a seven figure business is within what timeline? Because the choices and the trade-offs that you make depending upon the timeline are very, very different. And like you said, you might decide after you do it one year, like, oh crap, I didn't like those trade-offs. Yeah, I, I think that's really important. And I think that the speed in which people are are thinking that these things come to fruition, you know, there's a lot, there's, and this goes well beyond the online space, by the way, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of knots and things that are, have you seen the market? I didn't check today before we got on the phone. But just in general. Oh, yeah. But like, I mean, like, let's talk about, let's, I mean, we can talk about any of this stuff. We work, right? Oh my God. Yes. That market cap is like, was like way out of what they were, what they actually were. They weren't making any money at all. They had investors coming in. 
So like, even in the non-online space, like this stuff is happening and it's not real. Oh my God. We work as a great example. The, even the, you know, the tech bubble in the early 2000s, late 1990s is also a really great example when you see all of these firms getting financed and they don't have a pathway to revenue. And you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you don't have a pathway to revenue. You haven't generated any revenue and you've got X million dollars of financing. Like that, that's just ridiculous. And the WeWork thing, I, I'm just amazed at how quickly that imploded. I am amazed that it got off the ground at all. I, I'm, I'm, I was watching the documentary and I'm like, I'm just genuinely confused as to how anybody thought that this was anything of that magnitude. Um, but, but really here's, here's where they went wrong. I think is they went wrong in thinking that the real estate market wouldn't say, whoa, 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 wait a second. <laughs> right. They so, had people thinking they were a tech company. Yes. Their investors thought they were a tech company. Like, I'm like, it's real estate we're not company. in real estate. We're in tech. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. I'm looking at a duck. Like it's a yeah. duck. It's not yeah. a dog. Like exactly. the duck doesn't start to bark. Right. I'm like so genuinely confused. Yeah. Like so, how anybody bought that. And so the fact that they thought that, that they didn't think or presumably didn't think that the real estate market wouldn't say, wait a second, we could do the same thing and cut you out and not yeah. have to do this. Like why, why are we, you know, giving you perhaps a discount on the square footage so that you can build this out and charge companies to come in. Why don't we just work directly with the companies? You, you missed it. Their secret sauce was this existential life essence or whatever that they were <laughs> consciousness that they were <laughs> selling. Yeah, I know. Was they, their... did, they did want this whole we live thing too, right? Like grownups as dorm, like that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, this is very strange. This got very strange very fast. But I think like my point here is I know that so many women feel like, again, they're not doing it wrong. They don't know anything about, you know, they might not have gone to business school. They, you know, this is hard because of this, like, or, or their business isn't where they, they want it to be and they feel shame and embarrassment around that. Listen, if the guy from WeWork doesn't have shame and embarrassment, you shouldn't either. Exactly. It's good, it's good, you're good. <laughs> that is so, so true, so true. I mean, that he is shameless. Totally. So, so, I mean, listen, I think that we can safely run businesses that is, and I, I don't think it's about the money. I, I know, Jaquette, you and I were also talking about this, that I'm watching a lot of put, people put money over their mental and emotional and physical health. Mm -hmm. And that is terrifying for me mm -hmm. because this is a long haul. You've been at this since 1995. Yep. That requires a serious level of endurance and resiliency. Exactly. Exactly. And lots of ups and downs for sure. Definitely. And every year you have to do it over again. Yep. The, 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 the financials reset, the sales reset. We exactly. go back to zero <laughs> and we got to start building it all over again. That's so true. That is so, so true. And I think that's a piece that gets lost in the conversation as well. Um, the longevity piece just is not acknowledged, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. And then you and I were also talking about, um, like, it's okay to go get a job. Yeah, if you need to. And right? Like, if you need money, like, I, you know, like, the one thing that drives me to a point of panic, like no other, is when people hire me because they need money now. Like, I can't. Yeah. Like I, that just, I'm like, like a job. Can we try a job? <laughs> you need money now? There, there's, there's no shame in that at all. And in yeah. fact, you would actually probably be, probably be better off for a variety of reasons. The, not the least of which is actually relieving some financial pressure, but depending upon the job, you might even actually learn a couple of things that you can then apply to your business mm -hmm. when you decide to resume that. 
Um, but uh, if you think about it just from an energetic standpoint, because you have relieved some of the financial pressure, you will be able to think more clearly, which means you will be able to make better decisions because you're not making decisions from a tensed body that is just riddled with fear. You've got some breathing room and you just have clarity. And when you have you know, breathing room and clarity, the quality of your decisions are just naturally going to be better. Yeah, I think, you know, speaking from experience, my husband and I, our first business went, um, we we closed and we went bankrupt because of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, he, while we were transitioning, like closing the business, but hadn't quite moved on yet, he just basically threw on his tool belt and started doing handy, handyman jobs, like odd jobs in people's Mm -hmm. homes, just to, just Mm -hmm. to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and really do some like emotional healing around the fact that we had just spent five years in the worst financial shape of our lives, Mm -hmm. wondering if we were ever going to be able to pay the mortgage. And, and, and I say this and it was dire. And at the same time there, I'm going to acknowledge how much privilege I had in my bankruptcy story, because Mm -hmm. there are people who can't even afford bankruptcy. Right. Because you have to pay to go bankrupt. Right. Right. But, yeah. And, and I did have a support system around me and, you know, my mom did make sure that her grandkids had formula and diapers, Right. you know, so there was a lot of privilege in that. And it was also really scary mm-hmm. and it was really hard. And then after he got done with the tool belt, because he was like, well, maybe I'll just do this. Maybe I'll just, you know, do odd jobs. And he did that for like 18 months. And he's like, this is hard. This is like not great going into people's homes. And he didn't like it. So he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a job. And, he, and he, he went and he got a job and he worked in a job. And I had a job for years while we rebuilt financially. Um, and then it wasn't until four, almost five years after that, that I started my business. And then he took over his dad's business. So now he's, he just bought and is running his, his dad's business, um, all these years later. So mm-hmm. it's okay. I don't yeah. know what else to say. Like my, th- my rock bottom, my rock bottom was when we started to get like, um, my, and it's so funny. It was so traumatic. My husband doesn't even remember this. And if he's listening to this, he's like, that didn't happen, but I swear it did. Um, we started getting those letters from the bank that we missed mortgage payments Oh yeah. And they're like, and they're like, by the way, if you're going to do this again, we're going to move to foreclosure. And like the world, like, by the way, it takes a really long time to foreclose on a house. So this was not not imminent danger, but it's still scary. Right. Like when you think about whenever you open a, a, something from like the town or the IRS, like we all panic, right? Like that was my, that was my big scary moment. And I was like, this is my rock bottom. I'm not moving in with my mother. I love her, but no. Um, I'm not moving in with my, my children and my, my husband to go live with my mom. Um, and this is my rock bottom. So we need to close this business and move on. Right. And I think, I think having a rock bottom is important. Like knowing what that line is. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And, you know, I also think that with the whole notion of giving oneself permission to uh, be fluid with how they work, is really tied to our employment trends. So I can't remember the stat off the top of my head, but I think right now the average person stays with one employer for 4.4 years. Sometimes that's by their choice. Sometimes it's by the employer choice. And so I think, I think people need to embrace that there are as, there are times in their career where they may be in-house. And for those of us that don't ever see ourselves being in-house again, we need those people in-house because you're the ones that hire us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for those of us that work with corporations. Um, but my, my point with this is I think that sometimes, and I get it, our identity can be so tied to a label that we forget that sometimes the best thing to do is to do something that's not associated with that label. So to amplify your point, 
yes, you may want to be an entrepreneur, right? Maybe your ego like mine was in the beginning is tied to that. But if circumstances are such that you need to get a job, let that be okay. And let that not be a sign of failure. Yeah, I was listening to this. Um, it was actually a YouTube show. Uh, the YouTuber's name is Coffeezilla. And he was oh, talking, yeah. he, was, he was interviewing an academic who's doing research on entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. fake, entrepreneur, fake entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And he said that, and this isn't just in the online space. This is just mm-hmm. in, in the world, yeah, right. like everywhere. Yeah that people would rather, they're so attached to the title of entrepreneur that they rather tell their parents they're an entrepreneur than go and get a job as a barista and say they're a barista when they would make more money as a barista than they would as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sensitive to time. So I want to like, you know, start to shake us out of here, but I do have one final question that I would love to get your hot take on. Um, I know what it is, but I really just want everybody else to have your hot take on it. Um, you don't need to have a million dollar business to be a millionaire. You don't. As a matter of fact, I've run the numbers. You can have a $250,000 business and I can get you to a million dollars and be a millionaire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's what you do with it, right? It's how you Mm -hmm. invest it. And so mm-hmm. you can, um, that, that millions can show up in other ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I think of, of my business um, and the, my current model, there's just no way it would be a million dollars. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with, you know, my six figures that I make, but if I were to create some sort of fintech, that mm-hmm. could be a million dollars. And that could be a way of doing that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> or in New York and New York uh, City, invest in some real estate, that could be a way of getting to a million as well. So there's more than one way to skin the million dollar cap. Yeah. Listen, if you get into fintech, let me know. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll kick you. I'll be an angel investor on that for you. Oh my God. I just, we, we should definitely talk a little bit more about that because I, I have an idea for something that I have not seen out there yet. Um, and I think it could be, it could be pretty interesting if I could just figure out how to make it work. I, I, that's where I get stuck. I adore you. (laughs) I adore you too. (laughs) And if I could just say one more thing, yeah, working, you know, when I got my book deal, I, yes, I got an advance, but I did not get a big enough advance to be able to just chill and and work on my book. So I went and got a part-time job. And so I would work my part-time job and I would work with my clients and I wrote my book and I did not see anybody for damn near a year. You know what, there is, when you have enough, whether it is through knowing what your numbers are and knowing what you really need and, and, and having an appropriate goal or getting a job mm-hmm. part-time or otherwise, and you have enough, there is something very, uh, calming mm-hmm. about being able to meet your needs and then seeing a path to more instead of shooting for more before you have enough. Yep. Totally. Yeah. All right. What do you want to leave us with? Oh my goodness. What do I want to leave us with? I know we covered a lot. And I think the thing that I want to leave people with is to remind them to check in with themselves, like do a gut check Mm -hmm. making decisions and, um, you can't, you can't avoid the outside noise, but do a gut check around what you internalize of that outside noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? I, what do you want to leave people with? You know, I've been really, I've been really um, thinking, I'm a deep thinker. I've been thinking a lot about just being human. Mm-hmm. Like I see messages and I'm, I'm messaging and I'm like, oh, I'm a hot mess. I'm like, you're not a hot mess. You're a human being. You're a human. You're mm-hmm. a human, flesh and blood, emotions, all mm-hmm. the things, right? Like you're not uh, a content mill. 
you're not, um, you know, just there to, to crank out work and to, for, for, for money's sake, for more money, for more money's sake, you're not a machine, you're a human being. Be human. You know, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so Shaquette, you mentioned your book. Can you tell them your, about your book and, and where to find it? Oh yeah. Thank you. So it's financial intimacy, uh, how to create a healthy relationship with your money and your mate. And I explore the intersections of love and money, but looking at it with a social critics lens in terms of how things have changed, at least at that time, over the last 40 years, politically, economically, socially, and in terms of family dynamics. Um, and so you can get it wherever you get books. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, And where can they find you? You have a podcast? I have a podcast, More Than Money, and uh, they can find me on my website, jacquettetimmons.com. And as Tara knows, I do love me some Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) So they can find me over there as well. (laughs) Awesome. I'm going to take the clip of you laughing out of this and just have it on repeat because I adore your laugh. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for stopping oh by, Jaquette. God. Oh, this has been my absolute delight. I love our, our, our chats and I'm, uh, I'm glad that we had it with the world this time. Same, same. Well, that is a wrap for today's episode. What did you think? Did anything in particular resonate with you? Where did you agree or disagree with us? What did you learn? Were there any ahas? Did you laugh along with us? I like it when you send me a DM on Instagram to share your reactions. So please let me know. And if you enjoyed these crossover events, this was our second one, let me know. And again, if you let me know that you like them, I'll get more of them on the docket for 2022. Again, thank you so much for spending time with me and Tara and listening all the way until the end. And remember, I do have some openings to work with me in private in my one-on-one coaching practice. If you'd like to explore working together, send me a DM on Instagram and we will send you a link to my calendar so that we can chat and explore working together and talk about next steps. In the meantime, if you'd like to show appreciation for this podcast or this episode, please share it so that we can reach more people. And if you would like to buy me a coffee, here's how you can do that. Buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jaquette. Again, buymeacoffee.com forward slash Jaquette. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way until the end. I'll be back next week. I hope you will too. And until next time, remember, it's about more than money.